All right, if you're new, my name is Bland. Welcome. It's good to, good to see you all here. I think there were about eight of us here at um, five o'clock, uh, four o'clock, but uh, glad that the rest of you were able to find your way in. I know sometimes I get, uh, I, I've been caught outside, like talking to people, and then I hear the music, and I'm like, oh, service started. Uh, if you're in Brookline next week, don't do that. <laughs> Come early. We need you early. Like, be there early because we're going to have visitors. And and uh, if it's just up to me and uh, Tyler, you know, to walk around and try to greet all the visitors, it's not going to work well. So you come early, um, and then you can welcome the visitors that, uh, by God's grace, we'll see you next week. Before we get into the message, I wanted to uh, mention just something, uh, a good news God, God provided for us. If you heard it, Kyle mentioned that we are looking for a director of finance, but we're no longer looking for uh, an administrative assistant. By God's grace, uh, Molly Dykstra, who's right here in the middle, uh, has, has agreed to come on. Yes. Molly and uh, Brad and Bethany have been around COA since Bethany was about this tall. So um, she's like this tall now. So you can guess that's been a few years. But Molly was actually our COA Kids Director for three, four years. Four years. So uh, after a hiatus has uh, come back on staff. So we're grateful for her. Um, you can open your Bible. We're going to be kind of in Acts 19. Uh, you can start in Acts 19 is where we'll be. But back in 1664... So a few years ago, the Great and General Count Court of Massachusetts, very specific term there, the Great and General Court of Massachusetts gave permission for 40 men and 40 women uh, to leave uh, a church in Cambridge and come to uh, become the gather and create the first church of Cambridge Village. That was a, a new church plant. After uh, 24 years, that village succeeded from Cambridge and became Newtown, later to be named and spelt Newton. And that is the church that we are meeting in this building right now. In 1664, the first congregational church of Newton, it wasn't Newton then, was established. Uh, and we are meeting in their space. I think about the fact that folks stepped out back then. Uh, think about security. Like, I mean, this was during the, during, we weren't even a country at this point, right? This was a colony and, and people, uh, the ability to stay gathered with a large community and, and feel the benefit of that, um, you know, w was certainly enticing. But these people stepped out, moved out to this area or, or settled out into this area and started this church building. Uh, the church went on for hundreds of years until 1972 when they had dwindled down uh, and a, a small Greek congregation was beginning to uh, get started in Newton because they, uh, there was a large influx of, of Greek immigrants in the area. And so this uh, congregational church gave their church building to the Greek Evangelical Church of Boston, which has been here for 50 years now. Uh, and this is the space we're meeting in. There's four, almost 400 years of history uh, in this church building, uh, going back to where it was founded. You think about the people who encountered Christ that, during that time, who, who became Christians. Think about the thousands of sermons and Bible studies and people that were discipled. Think about the, the people that were married. Think about the pastors that were raised up and missionaries sent out. This, this church literally touched the world during its history. And today we're going to go back even further, though to a church, to another church 
that dates back about 1600 years before that to the church at Ephesus, which was also a church plant, which also grew and became influential and impacted not just the Roman empire, but the world today. We're starting a series through um, this book, and I hope that in our time together uh, over the next few months, we're actually going to take the fall, and then we'll take a break for Christmas, do a month of uh, sort of Advent type of end of year stuff, and then start in January to finish chapters five and six, I believe. Um, so we're going to be in it for a while, but, but while we're journeying through this, what I want us to kind of to see is as Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, there are a lot of parallels and messages for us as a church today. This is a letter written to a church that was 2000 years ago, a church plant, but, but, but to us today, it is still, the message is still relevant. Today is a bit of a bonus message since um, we're going to be spending so much time in this book, and next week we'll really be looking at verses 1 through 6. Uh, what I wanted to do is something I do occasionally when we start a big book like this, uh, is give you a bonus message. So the other City on Hill churches aren't doing Ephesians today, just Brighton and Brookline, because I wanted to nerd out a little bit. Will you, you, you guys come along, right? Nod, yes. You want to learn about the city of Ephesus? You want to learn about this church? You want to see what God did to establish this church in Acts 19? And then next week when we jump into the letter and like really get into it, we're going to begin to hear what Paul was saying and, and have a better understanding of the context there. Paul helped plant this church. Um, it, it's, there's question about whether he actually planted it or he was just a catalyst for it, uh, its early growth, but he was involved in it. And Ephesus was a big, large city that was antagonistic to the gospel. Um, and yet by God's grace, God moved there in a radical way. Paul writes his letter ten, about 10 years later. 10 years after planting, he's, 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 he's left. He's actually in prison at this point in the city of Rome, awaiting to see Caesar. And best we can tell from his references in the letter, he mentions three times being imprisoned. And based on, on the dating, we estimate this, this was written around 62 AD. This is 62 AD. Paul's writing to his church, this dear church that he was a, a part of. And Timothy, his protege, had been an elder in so let's look at three developments, an amazing city, a gospel impact, and an invitation for us. Amazing city. First, Ephesus. Ephesus is a city of wealth, culture, and security. We know who this letter is from, and two, because back then they knew how to write letters. Right now, if we write a letter, you write a letter to me, it just starts with what? My name. Guess what? I know who I am. Anybody started an email like that where the email, the person's name wasn't really in the email and you just start reading the email and you're like, who is this? Back in the day, especially when titles didn't come with the emails, you're like, who are you? <laughs> I know who I am. You sent it to me. Tell me who you are. And I love that this is what Paul did. Look at verse one of Ephesians one. Paul says, an Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, unless you're an ancient historian or you happen to have studied a lot of ancient Roman history, you probably don't know much about the city of Ephesus. Um, but Paul spent an extended amount of time there during his missionary journeys. He actually came back and, and couldn't get into the city, so he gathered a group of elders, the uh, Ephesian elders, uh, to, to meet with them. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time there, so I wanted to root this city in, a, in, in real history. 
So if you're new to church, you're checking out church, or maybe you haven't been around church, this is not a fairy tale. I'm not telling the story of once upon a time in a land far away, there was a man named Paul in a city of Ephesus. Like this isn't Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, right? This is a real city, a real place that was part of the Roman Empire um, that, that we have archaeological evidence for. If I could beam us all over to Turkey right now, I could show you uh, what Ephesus was like because there's so many ruins that are left there. Ephesus was originally a Greek colony. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, which I'm assuming there might be a map on the screen here. Yeah, a map here. It's not a high quality map, but you can kind of see where you are. The blue is water. If you're not a map reader, blue is water. Um, And that's the Mediterranean Sea. And so you can see, you know, kind of over on the left, you can see Italy and maybe orients you a little bit. You can see Jerusalem down on the far right. Well, Ephesus is right there in the middle. It was a a very, very important port city uh, for that entire region. Uh, Today, you can still visit Ephesus as part of the modern city of Turkey. Um, it had a population of about 250,000 people. Um, and the next picture that we're going to show is a, is a road that you can literally walk down today that is ruins from the first century. So Paul, Paul may have walked down this road. I think that's crazy to think about, right? But this is part of the city. It's a real place. Um, it was a very developed city. It was known for having a renowned library of which the facade still survives today, which is another picture here, hopefully. Um, yeah, that's the facade of the ancient library that stood during Paul's time there. Ephesus was also the headquarters of the cult goddess uh, of Artemis, or also called Diana. Um, and this temple was, was so amazing. It had been destroyed in the 4th century BC, but had been rebuilt and, listen, became one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. This is a, a replica of it. Uh, should be. It looks kind of like the Parthenon. But it's bigger, bigger than the Parthenon in Athens. This building, this temple to Artemis, this temple to uh, goddess Diana was 377 feet long and 151 feet high. Every column there was 40 feet high and it was all made of marble, except the roof for obvious reasons. Um, But it it was an amazing structure in its time. And this was a center of worship for a massive chunk of the Roman Empire here. The city also had, even today, you can walk through what is that whole, um, the, it used to be the theater, or what we would call an amphitheater today. Um, these are, this is a real picture here. Um, I stole it off somebody's t- touristy website, I think. Uh, they were walking, uh, walking around. Those are people. Little, those little specks up on the seats are people. That thing sat 25,000 people. And you can still walk around it today. What's amazing is that both the temple of Artemis and this structure play a role in Acts 19. So we're, we're like orienting ourselves to the history of what actually happened. Uh, Ephesus was a wealthy city. There were multi-storied residences in its upper and middle class um, society. There were um, some of the homes had mosaic floors and marble walls. There were at least, this was interesting, at least two people had heated bathrooms. That's pretty cool for back then. And many of them had running water. So you can just think of an ancient city, um, not, not like our city, but an ancient city that had all of these amenities. There was so much prosperity, 250,000 people, a massive busy harbor. 
That was Ephesus. Now, can anyone else think of a large city with a busy harbor that's wealthy and has a lot of culture in our modern world? <laughs> right? So you can, I, I hope you can see, like cities have always been the same, like geographically and stuff. Largely cities are very similar. There are things that, the reasons that cities are similar, but, but there are, there's a lot in common here. There was history in Ephesus and, and its harbor was a hugely influential part um, of what God was doing. So as we dig into this book, I, I want us to feel the cosmopolitan feel of Ephesus, feel the, the cultural pull towards the worship of the God art, goddess art. I want us to feel the, the, the pull towards wealth and education and all of these things. And I want us to understand something. God loved Ephesus. And he moved there in an unbelievable, extraordinary, remarkable way. And I believe God loves Boston. I believe God loves Boston so much, I want to spend the rest of my life in ministry seeing churches planted here, seeing City on a Hill Brookline, City on a Hill Brighton, all the other network churches reaching their communities, growing, multiplying, seeing people reconciling to Christ because I think Jesus Christ, when he is king, he makes a great city. People love their neighbors better. People care for others. Uh, the, the walls of hostility between the races are broken down. We'll get into that in Ephesians 2 and what Jesus did there. The, 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 the gospel changes the fabric of a city. And that's what we're going to see here in the second movement. So we've seen the city of Ephesus. Let's talk about the gospel impact in Ephesus. So into this context... Paul planted a church. Why in Ephesus? Well, most scholars believe when you look back at Paul's missionary method, he didn't, he didn't go out into the rural areas of the Roman Empire. He went to the cities. He targeted cities, all of the cities that you're reading, uh, that you read in the names of Paul's letters, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, all of this are, are, are major cities, often on east-west trade routes or major ports or whatever. Ironically, the pastor of the Greek church here was born in Thessaloniki, which I just think is the coolest thing. <laughs> Um, I want to I ask a lot about that, but I haven't had time yet. Um, but, but all of this was part of Paul's strategy for the, for, uh, the gospel to impact the Roman Empire. You see, the, the, the gospel didn't impact the Roman Empire from the rural areas into the cities. It impacted the Roman Empire from the cities into the rural areas. As a matter of fact, the word pagan in, in America, right? Like, where do the pagans live? Pagans live in the cities, right? This is where the pagans live. But in the Roman Empire, you know where the pagans lived? They lived in the country because the word pagan meant out of the country. The Christians were in the cities, in the culture-shaping, influential areas. That's where the gospel took root. At the end of Acts 18 and all of Acts 19 gives us this context here, what Paul's doing in um, the planting of this church. But it's not simply some story. It's not like City on a Hill, you know, where we, we got a little core team together and we started doing some stuff and having a gathering in the community groups and, you know, serving the city and things like that. God just, you know, early on, God, God needed, Jesus wanted to get his kingdom out fast. So he's like, okay, we're going to do some crazy stuff here. So Acts 19 is, is this crazy story. It probably starts the most tame part of it is at the very beginning where Paul shows up in Ephesus and he meets some disciples of, the God, of, of John the Baptist. 
right? So John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was his forerunner, and he went out preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they had heard this, these, these men, and, and they had heard this, and they were repenting, and they were being baptized, but they didn't know the gospel. So Paul told them the gospel, they received the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And we should have known right then and there <laughs> something was going to happen because that was the tamest thing that happened uh, from there on. From there, Paul went into the local Jewish synagogue, which is what he would often do because he was considered a rabbi. He was considered a teacher um, and an expert in the law. So he would go in and speak uh, with Jewish people about the gospel. And in Acts 19.9, it says that some, some who didn't want to believe it rose up and started speaking ill or speaking evil of, quote, the way. So Acts 19, the, 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 uh, the, the gospel was actually referred to in Ephesus as the way. Um, and then, so Paul had to leave. He had to leave the synagogue and he headed over to a local hall that was available. And for two years, two years, and, that, and the, the, some, some manuscripts include basically between like 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day, Paul would teach. And it says countless people from all over the Asian, uh, the province of Asia came to hear Paul teach this gospel of Jesus Christ. And people were saved and uh, lives were changed. And, Paul, and Luke adds this amazing summary statement, very matter of fact, in, verse, in Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. He says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their distress, their disease left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I love this. Luke is just telling the story, and he's like, oh, and by the way, people were bringing clothes to Paul, and it was touching his body, and then they would go into their house or wherever else, and they would lay that piece of cloth on someone, and someone would be healed, or it would cast a demon out of them. Like, and he just says that, like, you know, on Tuesday, I had a hamburger for lunch. Like, it just, it's, he doesn't expand it at all. But, um, but as this happens, he's, he's doing these things. It begins to draw some attention. And so these uh, Jewish, Jewish exorcists, I know you're like, really? Was that a thing? Evidently, in, in Ephesus it was. And we, we kind of understand why, because it was a center for magical arts. So there were Jewish, Jewish exorcists who would go in and uh, try to cast out demons. They saw what, what uh, Paul was doing. They saw what was happening through these handkerchiefs and all of this. And they said, hey, you know what? We, we need that power. Let's, let's get that power. So there were seven of them. They were all sons of, of Sceva, uh, the high priest. So they, uh, they said, let's go do this. What we'll do is we'll go in uh, together um, with this next demon. And what we'll do is we'll say, hey, by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And I love this. <laughs> the demon looks in verse 15 and says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> and, and in this scene, in this moment, the demon literally beats them up, strips them naked, and they run, all seven of them run out of the house, right? This is a lesson. Don't try to wield power that's not yours, right? 
Um, this is the power of Christ and only belongs to an apostle like, like uh, 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 Paul. Verse 17 18, and this became known, this is interesting, because that little story of these seven demons shocked the city. These seven priests that were well known, verses 17 and 18, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, and also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. This is when things begin to go to the next level. Now, I know you're thinking next level, the, the seven sons of Sceva, you know, fighting demons is not the next level already. No, we've got another notch. We're just getting going here on what's happening in this city. So people at this point, it's crazy. They start, they start to um, confess their sins because the city was a city where people practiced the magic arts. We're talking demonic, like pagan practices. And they, would bring, they started bringing actually their stuff into the city or into their, their books into the center of the city and were throwing these books of their magic practices onto bonfires in the city so that everyone could see they were repenting, they were confessing their sin. And God was changing, God was working in this city as these people repented and called on Jesus. Now, this is where it starts to get crazy. Verse 23, and about that time there arose no disturbance concerning the way. So things were getting, getting out of hand. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines for Artemis, uh, Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the workmen in the similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. That's ironic, isn't it? And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. And this turned into a riot. The entire city was in turmoil. They were in confusion. Some were saying one thing, others were saying something else. People piled in, they, they grabbed a few of Paul's companions and they went into the, the theater, the large amphitheater you just saw on the screen. They piled in there. The whole city was packed in there or as many you could get in there. And, they, and Paul's friends uh, were in there. And was, you know what Paul wanted to do? I'm just pause at this moment. You know what Paul wanted to do? He's not in there. His buddies were grabbed and taken in there. You know what Paul wanted to do? Let me at him. <laughs> Paul's like, let me in there. I want to go preach the gospel. Let me, I mean, these people are losing their minds. And he's like, let me, give me a microphone, right? He wanted to go preach the gospel. His friends persuaded him not to go because it was so dangerous. Um, but this, in this moment of confusion, as the city was crazy and people were trying to, uh, trying to get a handle on things, the town clerk jumped in. This was actually, again, this is in line with Roman, what we understand of Roman rule. The town clerk jumped in and says, we are in danger of being cited as rioting, which is not allowed in any Roman cities. So we need to get this under control. We need to calm down. Everybody needs to go home. And if you have issues with Paul or you have issues with other, these other companions, you can bring them to the courts, right? So everybody kind of finally dispelled. Not long after that, Paul felt like the Lord was leading him to move on to another city. <laughs> um, but, but that was the story of the planting of this church. 
Um, just the first few years of the church at Ephesus, this is what happened. Thank God. I'm grateful that that did not happen with the planting of City on a Hill. And I know, I know Aaron's kind of hoping for that next year, but, uh, but we're, praise God, we're, we're, we're grateful that that did not happen. But I want us to remind ourselves that that, that that movement that we just get a glimpse of in Acts 19 impacted the entire region and went on so that Ephesus is, is one of the seven churches that, that a letter is written to at the beginning of Revelation. Uh, it's also a place that by the fourth century, one of the great councils of the early church under Constantine, actually they had a council at Ephesus. So this was a, a hugely important city and it transformed, this gospel transformed the way they lived. And what I want to share with us today in this third kind of part here as we come in for a landing or sort of go, okay, that's a lot of interesting information about the city. That's really interesting about how that church planted. What difference does it make for us? And I want to remind us that there's an invitation for us here. There's an invitation for us here. We find ourselves in the same story. Listen, the Ephesian church did not have a different gospel than we do. They didn't. They're the same gospel. And I love that right the beginning of next week, I have to say this, I'm going to give you a little, uh, pull the veil back for just a second. Paul dives in next week, verses 3 through 14 are one sentence in the Greek. Paul just blows your mind with the gospel. I can't wait. Like he starts, he's not holding back. He just unloads this gospel. Um, and this book is so rooted in the gospel. We have the same gospel. They have a same community, their church and how they were to function and what life was to look like with them and what it meant for them to be a part of the family of God together is the same as us. Yes, we live in a different city. Life may look a little different, but we're to share life with each other. We're to practice the one another's together. We are part of Jesus's family. And the same mission that the church at Ephesus had is the same mission that we have. To love and serve our city and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Gospel, community, and mission. We are invited into this same story. Listen, Ephesus held that Artemis was this amazing, glorious, inspiring, magnificent god, goddess, right? And the whole city was, was caught up in her worship. And it seemed like, you know, the, the silversmiths were trying to defend them, defend her at one point, right? But like the whole, everyone's going to stop worshiping Diana or Artemis, right? But it, the truth is, you know, I always thought like, can a goddess defend herself? I mean, if, if she's a goddess, she should be able to like defend herself. Does she need people uh, to do that? Um, and, and yet that's exactly what they're doing. But her re the real reason, uh, Demetrius's real reason was because it was impacting his bottom line. Now, what I want you to do is think with me for a minute. What would impact their bottom line? When enough of the people in the city are no longer buying, buying their little silver worship trinkets so they could go worship Diana. In other words, the gospel was changing the fabric of the city. It was changing the way people related. It was changing the, the it was having an economic impact in the city. During the first and second great awakenings, this church, First Church of Newton was here in Newton. And, and, and across the United States, there were significant impacts. 
There are many places where, where the bars were, there was a lot of alcoholism during certain periods and bars were, were very busy. And there were certain areas where, the, where, where, the, where God was moving and revival happened and people were coming to faith that the bars, some bars closed down. Others just had to cut their hours way back. I know of one city many years ago that there was a, a, a gospel renewal in this small city. It actually shut down a strip club that existed. And it, was, it wasn't because the Christians went over and just picketed the strip club. It was because there weren't enough customers anymore to keep the strip club open. Because Jesus was at work. What would happen in our city if the gospel really took root here? What would happen in Brookline? What would happen in Brighton? What would happen in Newton and Boston if the gospel really took root here and began to change the fabric of our city? Listen, we have our own temples, right? We have some beautiful structures to the goddess of education. And that goddess promises you, if you will pay her enough money, right? And you will dedicate several years of your life to her, she will give you opportunity. She will give you status. She will give you letters after your last name. The God, God of money, as, 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 as there are literally buildings dedicated to financial institutions in our city, some financial institutions among some of the largest in the world, right? In our city, lots of worship. If you give your time, you give your resources, you give your focus, that will give you money and that will give you security or pleasure or whatever you're looking for. The goddess of medicine, right? God of medicine, if you give enough research, you give enough time, you can, uh, I'm not talking about like preservation of health at this point, though there is this weird interest in immortality, isn't there? This like rising interest in that we could truly live forever. Stop and think about what that, what that promise is. It's human beings looking for life, literally in medicine, not against education, not against financial institutions, not against hospitals. Those are all good things. They are just terrible gods. They are terrible gods, and our city is in bondage to them. And if you don't believe me, go to these institutions and then go two or three blocks in any direction, and you will find poverty and brokenness. Boston needs a movement of the gospel, just like Ephesus did. We need to be set free from bondage to these things. And the church has a call into that. Listen, we are invited into this cosmic, cosmic story. And what I think Ephesians will do, if we'll let it, will get our eyes up out of our like, moment and kind of see a larger story that we're a part of. The language Paul uses through, the, the, even the first three chapters is huge. Listen to the, just a few of them. Uh, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's not your backyard. That's the heavenly places. That's a cosmic reality. Verse, uh, chapter one, verse 21, Paul's referring to the greatness of the power of Christ who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus' name is greater than Artemis. 
He's reminding them of that. Chapter two, verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Chapter two, verse six, God has raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not just your future. That's not future tense. That is present tense. In God's eyes, his children are with him. You're secure. Chapter three, verse nine. God gave Paul grace to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You know what that is? That's God saying the church is putting all the principalities and powers on notice. He has chosen us, weak us, pathetic us, powerless us, limited us, finite us. And he has said, I'm going to display the greatest power this universe has ever seen through you. That's the invitation. We're invited onto that. We're invited into that. And, you're, and, and, and yes, our church, who knows? I won't be around if it lasts 300 years, right? Not unless medicine really does kind of solve that, that death thing. But, but wouldn't it be great to, to know that you are part of that story, that your life matters? There's something in you and something in me that longs for our life to matter. It feels, listen, it's one of the indicators, C.S. Lewis said, you know, if I have in me a desire that this, nothing in this world can meet, maybe it's a sign basically that I'm made for another world. And the, the longing, the nagging in your heart and my heart, and I've never met a person that this doesn't apply to, is that your life would matter, that it would mean something, that it would make a difference. And this is it. You've been invited into this story. So I wanna close with Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I think it's the center of the book. I think it's Paul like bringing together what he's really trying to do in this book. Listen to what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I, that's, that gets me excited. I want to go keep, I know you don't want to hang around. I want to keep preaching because that's, that's like such a glorious big thing to give your life to. I want to know the love of Christ. I want to know it to the depth of my soul. I want to get my mind around what is infinite. I want to get my heart around what I cannot fully ever comprehend in this world, but will, will fill me into eternity. The love of Christ. That's the invitation. So what do we do? One, know the love of Christ today. If you don't know Christ, 
then I encourage you. The invitation's available to you. But if you do, if you are a Christian, you don't reach like, okay, I got it. Jesus died for me. No, that's, that's just the, the step into the kingdom. Let the love of Christ fill you. Secondly, embrace the purpose of Christ to make your life count. As we go into this fall, you are going to encounter new neighbors. You're going to encounter new friends, new coworkers. You might be a new coworker, right? Embrace the call of Christ in those spaces and the purpose of Christ for your life. And then finally, draw near to Christ in this book. Get into a community group. Read this book. It takes about 20 minutes. I have to say this, about a month ago, our, our staff was away. Well, over a month ago, our staff was doing it overnight. And I like laid in the bed, listening to the Dwell app, reading me Ephesians. And I, Jesus and I just had a moment, like 20 minutes is how long it takes to listen to the book of Ephesians. I just like felt like Jesus just came in the room with me. It was amazing. And I want you to experience that as we go through this book together, but you're not gonna get it if you're just, if it's pushed off to the side, if you're not paying attention, if you're not involved, if you're not going after Christ, there is all the Christ you can have if you go after him. He is available. We're gonna move into our time of response now, communion. We're gonna celebrate what Christ did And I want to remind you of this, even as we prepare to take communion, if you're a Christian, that I want to remind you of this language, this heavenly cosmic language, that you are seated with him in the heavenly places. Your soul is secure with him because Christ's body was broken on the cross for you, because his blood was spilt for you to redeem you. You are his and not your feelings, not your boss, not your coworker, not some discouragement, not a bad day, not COVID, not loss of your job, not loss of a relationship can take that away from you. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. We're gonna have stations here at the front and in the back. If you're a Christian, anytime over this next song, we encourage you to just step out, uh, go to the station. You can take the elements and go back to your seat and just take that as God leads you. If you're not a Christian, listen, today the invitation is for you to take Christ, right? And, and we want to help you in that journey any way we can. So I'll be in the back the rest of the service. Um, and I want to invite you, invite you to take that step of faith today. Or you can email us or go to coabrookline.org slash connect and fill out a card and we'll follow up with you. Listen, if God is speaking to you today, don't don't push that off. Whatever that voice is that you're feeling that's inviting you, that's the Spirit inviting you in. I pray you embrace it today. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm gonna pray, and then we can respond together. Jesus, we are... We're in awe of what you did in this crazy city of Ephesus a couple thousand years ago. Just looking at this, this community here that was so wealthy, so caught up in the worship of a false goddess. And Lord, there was security, there was culture, and the city seemed fine, right? And yet you went in and interrupted 
with your love, with your transforming power, you used your people to bring light where there was darkness, to bring freedom where there was bondage, to bring hope where there was despair. And you set people free from, from demons, from sickness. We pray, Father, for a move in our city that way. Would you move? We, we, we can't do it. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen, but our city needs it. We love our city, but people need to know you. Move in us, move through us. And Jesus, as we move into Ephesians in this beautiful picture of the love of God at work in and through the church, would you, would you blow our hearts up with the height and breadth and depth of your love? As we take the bread and the cup, we remember what you did for us. May our hearts be filled even as we fill our mouths. In your name.